Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here to talk about turning a school around. Not just any school, but arguably one of the toughest and worst schools in the country. And just exactly how does this happen? The whole story is masterfully told in the new book, Stray Dogs, Saints, and Saviors, Fighting for the Soul of America's Toughest School. We're here with the book's author. Welcome to the EdCast, Alexander Russo. Thanks for having me. Alexander, paint us a picture of Locke High School, and why did you spend your one year as a Spencer Fellow telling this particular school's story? Locke High School is located in Watts in south-central L.A., down in the far south corner of Los Angeles, right at the edge of the border of Los Angeles Unified School District. It started out as a great school in the 60s um, and then slowly fell on hard times. It had a lot of uh, violence. It had a lot of... Uh, kids failing classes, and they had a lot of teachers who didn't want to be there. I heard about the school and about the unlikely effort to turn things around at the school. Uh, I got the Spencer Fellowship at Columbia that you mentioned, and I thought, let's go see if a school can be rescued, and let's see if the people who are doing the rescuing, a charter network called Green Dot, can really pull this off. Now, Alex, Alexander, at what point when you showed up, were they in, in the sort of turnaround of the high school? Was it right in the beginning phases? Were they middle of the way through? And then what was your relationship with Steve Barr and Green Dot? I showed up the spring just before they were about to go through this big transition. The school was still a Los Angeles Unified District School when I first got there in the spring of 2008. It was just about to be handed over, and a month before I got there, there had been a big riot, if you want to call it that, a riot on campus between uh, black kids and Latino kids. Um, The school had been really let go. No one was in control, and the kids were frustrated and penned in, and uh, they showed their unhappiness by uh, shutting the school down for a day. So what were some of the promises of Green Dot in terms of turning this school around? What could they do that the previous, you know, administrators couldn't? They were going to be an autonomous charter school, which gives them freedom from the district. They were going to hire their own teachers, teachers who really wanted to be there, really cared. Uh, They were going to keep all of the athletics and all of the rich traditions of the school, and they were going to serve all the schools, all the kids in the neighborhood. They were going to keep that neighborhood high school feel, but better teachers, uh, more caring staff, And perhaps most important, they were going to make the campus safe. You weren't going to be worried about being jumped um, or getting in fights while you were on campus under Green Dot. That was the promise. And what were some of the, you know, the the sort of tools they would enable to make the school safer? I know they talked a little, you talk a little bit about changing the quad and bringing in better teachers. Yeah, they, um, they, they, they took two approaches. One was they made the campus a lot prettier than it had been. It was really worn down and covered with graffiti and dusty and dry, and there was no shade. They painted it up. They um, got a big assist from the actress Cameron Diaz, who brought in trees and grass and made the quad, the inner area where the kids hang out between classes, um, really pretty. They also um, did some things that weren't uh, so nice to look at. They they brought in a lot of private security guards. There was a security guard on every corner, it seemed, and they divided the school into five different small schools using these tall black fences that were sort of intense to look at, 
um, to divide the kids and to protect the kids from being hassled by people on the street. Now, Alexander, you were an outsider coming in, and you knew you may have had a book on your mind when you were entering this. What was the level of trust the teachers and the administrators, the students gave you throughout the year, and did it take a while for people to open up to you? Uh, it did. Uh, the kids uh, were perhaps the hardest. The kids thought I was a spy or a snitch or a cop. or They had no idea what to make of me. I told them that I was the least uh, stealthy spy there ever was if I was a spy. I'm a six-foot-tall white guy walking around a campus with a tape recorder. Um, the teachers were uh, more accepting. By and large, they were really excited and nervous about what they were trying to do. They knew that they had a big climb ahead of them, and they were processing things, and they generally liked talking to me after school um, from the start. Now, I'm curious at what point you came up with the title, Stray Dogs, Saints, and Saviors. Do you mind sharing with, the, with our audience who are these dogs, who are these saints, and who are these saviors? Not at all. I had to fight really hard for the title. You know, a lot of education books have the word school or high school in them, and they have an apple or a chalkboard on the front. This has none of that. Um, this has a picture of downtown L.A. on the front and has this unusual title. The stray dogs are literally stray dogs. Uh, South Central L.A. is poor and has... Uh, stray dogs wandering around and sometimes even after the school was being fixed up and things were calm on campus sometimes the dogs came onto campus so they represent uh, the poverty and neglect that the community has suffered uh, being so far away from downtown and being such a, a disenfranchised community the uh, saints are the lock saints that's the mascot for the school um, they have a blue and gold colors, and the saints are the community, basically. And the saviors are the folks like Green Dot uh, who think they can make things better and um, put themselves on the line saying that they're going to they're gonna do this thing. Now, Alexander, aside from being sort of an education reform book, it's sprinkled with ex incredibly compelling vignettes and anecdotes that read like a dramatic novel. Particularly, I like the chapter, The Gate. Can you give our listeners a little preview about the incident that occurred there? Sure. In the spring of 2008, uh, just after Cinco de Mayo, uh, early May, um, some kids uh, started uh, getting uh, into a fight on the quad during lunchtime. At the time, the way the school was set up, there were just a handful of adults out there uh, in the lunch area and on the quad, uh, and about 2,500 kids. Uh, the kids in the school had gone through a horrible year where the turnaround it was not yet started, but the school district had sort of given up. Um, there had been a lot of vandalism, there had been some fires, there had been a lot of fights. And either accidentally or by plan, a fight started, no one really knows, there were fights started and the fight spread. And eventually um, there were kids all over the quad uh, swinging fists at each other, uh, kids running uh, to get to some form of safety as much as they could. And eventually the police were called in and the helicopters came and then the news cameras and it made national news. It was. It was horrifying. It wasn't maybe as bad as some people uh, thought it might have been, but it was certainly terrifying and not a good way for things to start. Alexander, what was the reaction to this book once it came out? Are people reading it, and are they now motivated to turn around to school, or are they finishing the book saying, geez, it's a lot harder than I thought. I'm going to go into equity. <laughs> 
I think a lot of people um, are um, scared off by the idea of turning around to school. To me, it's the only thing really worth doing. If you can't fix a broken school, then what's the point? That's why I was there. And, and the fact that it's hard and it's taken three years for them to really make this change of culture and of performance, uh, that's okay to me. A lot of people gave up on the school really, really quickly. Um, the reform community um, stopped talking about it pretty much as soon um, as the news got out that there was no sort of one-year miracle. There was a flurry of press at the end of that first year, which was 2009, and then a lot of people just sort of forgot about the school. People are now taking a second look at the school and taking a second look at this idea of slow and steady but real progress. And uh, certainly the fact that the Obama administration has focused so much attention and given so much money to school turnarounds has helped. A lot of people this summer are reading the book in preparation for doing something like the Locke High School turnaround in the fall, and those have been the most eager readers, the teachers and administrators who are going to do a Locke High School in Tennessee or Arkansas or Maine or Nebraska. Alexander, when you showed up in Los Angeles, did the book, did the story turn out to be exactly what you thought it would be the day you showed up? Not at all. It's a great question. Um, I thought that the story was going to be much more straightforward, for better or worse. I didn't know what, whether it was going to work or not, uh, but I thought it was going to be pretty straightforward. I did not know that uh, two main things were going to happen. I did not know that fixing broken schools was going to become a national issue. Um, there's been a lot of debate over the last two years and a lot of attention on this idea of the, the fixing the worst schools. And the second thing I didn't know was going to happen was I didn't know that uh, Green Dot, the upstart charter network that was doing this, was going to have a sort of uh, implosion and that there was going to be a parting of ways between the founder, this guy Steve Barr, and the organization that he founded. Alexander, personally, you write several blogs. You're now promoting this book. Are there any new projects in the works for you? I'm trying to work on book number two about uh, the uh, current moment in school reform. I feel like we're sort of in a uh, school reform bubble right now, and I think that it's about to crash. And so I'm working on a book about the, the coming school reform crash. Speaking of school reform, this will be the last question, Alexander. If you could convene all the Ed reformers out there, the Duncans, the Steve Bars, Diane Ravitch, Michelle Ree, the Wine Gardens, etc., etc., you can get them all in one room, sort of bridging from what you learned at Locke High School, what would you have them do? I would have them, hmm, I would have them run a school. I think there are a lot of people out there talking about schools who don't have any recent relevant experience. Um, I, I feel like if half the people talking about school reform actually went and tried to fix schools, um, first of all, they'd learn a lot of humility. Uh, second of all, they'd find uh, many areas of agreement. They'd get past ideology. And third of all, the kids in the communities in which they live would have the benefit of all these uh, educated, uh, smart folks uh, actually uh, teaching kids math and teaching kids how to read. Alexander, where can they get the book? They can get it on Amazon. They can get it from Josie Bath. Um, there are electronic copies. If uh, people want to do the Kindle or the iPad thing, uh, just type in Stray Dogs, Saints, and Saviors, and uh, you'll find it right there. The name of the book, Stray Dogs, Saints, and Saviors, Fighting for the Soul of America's Toughest School. Our guest today, Alexander Russo, the author. Thank you very much for being on the show.
Matthew, you're a saint, and go Harvard Ed School. <laughs> this has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.